1: Sometimes people are doing things that are very useful because they may not be as valued by everybody else. Right? That there isn't a perception that what you're doing is valuable when, in fact, you know, uh, it, it very much. I, I I love to tell the story of think about what it takes for you to sit down to a bowl of cereal in the morning. You know, think about. All the things that had to be done in order for your wheaties to be yeah. in front of you, mm-hmm. and all the services that people had to perform. I mean, it, I mean, you know, someone had to plant the wheat, someone had to had to reap it, someone had to take it to be processed. It had to be in a box. It had box had to be in a wrapper for for you know to protect it so that it's it's safe to eat, etc. Someone had to deliver it to the store. Someone had to put the box on the shelf. Yeah. I used to do that at one point when I was real. Real young, you know, and, and someone
2: had to finance all those transactions, exactly right. correct. You I know. mean,
1: and you just think about uh, we don't think about how much of a web of community our, our world actually is to make it function. And you pull out some of those roles, in fact, all it takes is someone going on strike in a given sector of our mm-hmm. society,
2: everything shuts and down, and
1: you immediately realize. I was reading in the paper today on the way over, they're in the midst of a, of a, of a train strike in Germany in which – and of course, I lived in Germany, so this is why I paid attention to it – in which they have upped the ante because they're not only not shipping freight now, they're not hauling people, Mm -hmm. okay? You don't haul people in Germany on trains, okay? The whole thing yeah. breaks that's down. That's like shutting yeah. down the airlines. Exactly right. right. I mean, it, it, what a mess. I'm just contemplating what a mess that is for people because uh, most of the people commute and they commute on trains. Mm-hmm. And and so so think about all the jobs that are associated. So uh, you know when we think about giftedness, and this is probably something we haven't mentioned that's worth mentioning. You think about giftedness, but you also think about service, how you manage the world and how you make the world a better place by what you do. And there literally are all kinds of jobs that we would consider mundane, average, however you want to describe it, that really if those jobs weren't happening, our lives would be much worse off corporately as as a
3: society. Well and you have to be able to connect the dot help people connect the dots. So I'm hearing your warrior. Yeah. Mm She, I, I talk about this in my classes that churches have very few boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll work with the kids, count the money, park the cars, you know, and I always tell people, you know, we say teaching, but if you only have 12 classrooms, guess yeah. how many teachers you have? You have 12. Yeah. I'm a warrior. I don't fit in one of the four boxes. Correct. So, uh, it, uh, yeah. All right. We tell people, well, that's great you do these other things, but we also need you to fit in one of these four boxes. Being able to help people connect the dots and say, here's here's my here's my giftings – I talk about giftings, values, and passions, and here's where they connect. And that connection piece – because again, back to the thing of – I think people take tests all day long, the personality tests, sure. and, mm-hmm. but to be able to connect the dots and then Huge. go, here's the outlet. Correct. Mm-hmm. And then that's where the lights go on. And you that realize point. that when you connect
2: the dots for people like in a church setting, the, for the vast majority of people, where those dots will connect that they need to end up is actually in service outside right, the church. Right, exactly. And so yeah. you have to think
3: kingdom. because, because yeah. You have to think broader. Yeah.
2: Clayton Bell, who was the pastor uh mm-hmm. Highland Park Press for years, mm-hmm. preached a sermon once on this very issue. And he said, you know, at the time we had, I don't know, 5,000 people in the church. He said, if we count up all the jobs we have here, volunteer work whether it's ushers or singing in the choir or Sunday school teachers or assistance of the Sunday school teachers or the juice carriers for the assistance of the Sunday school teachers, if we added up all those jobs, there's only at most a few hundred of those jobs, which means for the vast majority of you, they're not anything to do here within the four walls of the church. Mm-hmm. His point was we need to deploy you out in the community to do meaningful work out there based on your gifts. And I think this is the church's great opportunity Mm -hmm. is to unleash the gifts of the people of God for the benefit of the community. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, and and the churches that do this and that and that lift it up are really, really interesting. You know, I hear all the time. Tim Keller's church uh, Mm -hmm. at Redeemer is well known for at the beginning of the school year, praying for the teachers. Yeah, right. Um, You know, uh, at a different time, praying for the bankers, praying for the lawyers, praying for the doctors, affirming what a person is doing most of their – Time. The way I like to state it is, you know, God has us in our jobs five days a week, eight hours a day. You know, on average, that that's far longer than we're ever going to be. Than most people are ever going to be in church. Mm-hmm. So, what is it God has them doing most of the time? And who are they rubbing shoulders with? And how is that not a part of the? How isn't that not church? I mean, that's part of the mission and the commission of the church. So how do how do how do we? As church as church leaders on the one hand, and how do we as people who are exhorting people who aren't full time in full-time Christian work help them face what God has them doing most of their lives?
3: Hmm. You know? Well, I would even say one of the things is who's on stage? What are the stories that are being portrayed on stage on a Sunday? Exactly. I, I hear the missionaries, I hear these things. I want to hear the story of here's a banker and here's how uh, how his Christian worldview is affecting ethical decisions that he's making. I think we need to have more of those stories, that's great, more of those role models up there. Um, I think that's a key thing as well. And then being able to – again, I think it's in what we preach. Mm-hmm. I think it's in what we teach. Um, I think it's in what we model with ministry. I think the other thing too – I know this is a sticky subject – is that we get people so busy mm-hmm. inside the four walls of the church that they don't have time to that's go right. and do these other things. That's right. And so to be able to free up maybe that church schedule a little bit, say, I want you involved in the local community mm-hmm. to do, do those things. So I think to give them some role models, I think we do need to be teaching some of those things. And then, as I said, I think there's just some logistics of being able to free up the schedule so that people can go and
2: And, and Daryl, you had a pastor mm-hmm. from DTS uh, who spoke at the table conference uh, last uh, – Yeah, Tom spring? Nelson. Tom Nelson. Yeah. And this is exactly the model that he's building his church around. hmm yeah, it, it, out of Kansas City,
1: and uh, well, I'm sure we're going to have him on – in fact, I've already scheduled him to have him on, in chapel next spring. Awesome. And uh, it, to talk about how he – it, it he, this shift revolutionized how he does ministry hmm. when he realized that his goal in ministering to people wasn't to turn them into Bible students if I could say it that way, you know, to have them have wonderful Bible knowledge that operates within the church and so they're interacting and able to survive well in Bible studies and that kind of thing. No, his goal was to equip people for life and give them uh, – the way I like to say it is give them a theology that shows itself in life. Theology is designed to help us live life effectively, to have us live life the way we're designed to live it in right. whatever station or port that God puts us in. and. And so when we teach and preach with that in mind, that means that the illustrations aren't just about what happens in church, mm-hmm. or not what ha- just what happens in the mission field. It's what happens at the bank. It's what happens at school. It's what happens at home. It's what happens. Uh, it, it's what happens when there's conflict in the workplace. Um, all those kinds of things. What happens when you face a, a difficult ethical choice that you're Work is putting upon you the judgments that you make, how you have that conversation with that colleague who may or may not be a believer who's come right. to you for help, all kinds of things. And Tom said it's just changed the way he did his ministry. He said one of the things that changed his pastorate. This is an interesting story: is he started to visit people in their workplaces? Oh yeah, that's to, huge. To see what their life was like on a day-to-day basis, to get to know what it is that they're facing, to have him walk, you uh, have his Person in, who's sitting in the pew, walk him through his plant and say, "You know, this is what I'm dealing with." And It with. just
3: communicates so much value to that Absolutely. person. Absolutely, exactly
1: right. And so you look at that and you go, "Man, that is that's faith and work working together." Yeah. I mean, that that's that's bringing together. That's connecting the dots, mm-hmm. to use the phrase. Well, and earlier,
2: Darrell, you mentioned the connection between the Great Commission mm-hmm. and the Great the, the Creation Mandate mm-hmm. is often lost. Um, This whole issue of calling and giftedness is actually a tremendous opportunity for outreach. Mm -hmm. The reason I say that is because the vast majority of people in the workplace are not in jobs that fit them. Mm -hmm. And and we have all the statistics on this from Gallup, who since 2000 has been keeping track of what they call employee engagement, which Mm -hmm. means the extent to which somebody enjoys their job and feels an emotional connection to their job, okay? The most recent statistics for 2012 Were that 30% of people feel engaged in their work, but that means 70% don't feel engaged. Mm -hmm. Uh, 52% are what they call unengaged, which means, yeah, they go to work, but it's just a job. Their heart's not in it. They're earning money to do something else. Yeah. Yeah. But then 18% are what they call actively disengaged, which means they're mad about it. They hate their job, Hmm. and they actually undermine and sabotage the work that the engaged workers are doing. Now, if that's if that's the case, A, that means that a lot of people who are already in churches and are already believers are probably in jobs that don't fit them. But it means that a lot of their friends and neighbors and coworkers are in that same boat. It's never dawned on them that there's actually some truth from Scripture that speaks into you as a person, why you're here, what you should be doing for work and with your life. And we have this tremendous opportunity to speak into a, a known and felt need on, on behalf of people. Because hmm. if you're in a bad job fit, like you're hating life, and you may not even know that that's the source of your stress, mm-hmm. that's the source of your, your conflict when you come home because you bring this, this distaste about your job into your family, it poisons your relationship, you're giving your kids a negative view of work as they watch you you know slug through every day. I mean, this is a tremendous opportunity for the church.
1: You know, it's interesting because this is the one question I had about the book when I read it that I thought that I'd love to get your feedback on, and that is, you know, there are a lot of people who aren't in jobs that don't fit them, or they're in the job that they selected, and uh, for the cultural pressures that we mentioned at the start, or whatever, they're in a place that isn't a fit, and there really are two scenarios that I think you have to deal with for someone who's a, the first is, um, well, if you have an opportunity to find something that fits, then go there. That's you know, that that's wonderful. If you can figure out what that is and then land there, that's wonderful. But the scenario I had in the back of my head what I was reading, you know what's coming, is the person who's in a job, it doesn't fit him, but it's hard to know if he has another place he or she can go. That that's that's, that's where they are. You know, a lot of people, particularly as they get later on in life, because of the way medical plans work, et cetera, they don't feel the freedom to be able to pick up and head somewhere else. They've got to make do with where God has them. What, what do you do in that kind of a circumstance where you know I'm here, I'm not gifted to do this, but this is where God has me right now?
2: yeah the the question that you're asking is one I get asked a lot, mm-hmm. and I've had to think about this for years and it is is giftedness a luxury mm-hmm. like it's great for those of us who you know have education live in upper middle class America exactly. and we have options and yeah but what if you're a rice farmer in north korea mm-hmm. you know what what if what if you're working the trains in uh Germany right mm-hmm. now and you you know that's the only job you could find mm-hmm.
3: right.
2: well I say giftedness is not a luxury, it's a reality. In other words, I I understand the problems of trying to deploy and employ your giftedness. That doesn't change the fact that it, it simply is what it is. God has made people the way He's made them. And we we ignore giftedness to our peril. And so finding the best fit does not mean the best fit conceivable. Mm-hmm. It means finding the best fit achievable under the context you're in. Now I know that you're writing a book called Life, Liberty, and – Loving Your Neighbor. Loving Your Neighbor. Yeah. And I have recently been reflecting on, on the, the phrase Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness from, mm-hmm. the, from the Declaration of Independence. The word happiness there, if you really get into it and study it, what those guys were talking about was this whole idea of people being able to do what they felt was right for them to do. In mm-hmm. other words, to pursue the path that was best for them it's really what we would call pursuing their giftedness. Mm-hmm. And of course hand in glove with that right which is called unalienable from the creator is the right for freedom. Mm-hmm. And so wherever you have found freedom for people to pursue that which God's put in them in this world, you find cultures flourishing. And uh, and so I'm all for let's give people as many options as possible and let's not put, you know, Laws and and structures and and certain kinds of uh, uh, governments in place that impede people from living out that gifting. Um, there's a there's a group that does micro lending all over the world that mm-hmm. I have been involved with recently, and what you discover is that the giftedness is all there, mm-hmm. like it's all there, even though these people live in terribly impoverished circumstances. All they need is an opportunity to unleash mm-hmm. that, and so this group comes along. And for a $100 loan, this guy buys a bike, and next thing you know, he's able to take bananas into the village and sell them, and he's making some money. This lady buys a sewing machine, and she's making clothes and feeding her family. And all these gifts are flourishing, mm-hmm. and there it is. It's like, wow, we, 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 we gave the gifts some breathing room, and here it came. Mm-hmm. And so wherever we find people that you know they don't have options, you know, I say, well, let's figure out <clears throat> ways to give them opportunities. But in the meantime, you know, just because you're not in the greatest job fit doesn't give you an excuse to
0: go, well, then I I don't really have to put my heart into my work. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and County, A Bounty Hunter's Journey to Faith, Hope, and Redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman.
1: You yeah, know. I think there are two questions and that is doing uh, you know are you suited for what you're doing which is one way to do it but the other question is how am I in the midst of doing what I'm doing. You know, there's mm-hmm. the whole interpro- you know we all know the people who we've met who have very mundane jobs but they've worked hard because of their personality or whatever to make that job seem special. The, the thing that mm-hmm. pops in my mind immediately are, are some of the stewards that you meet on on Southwest Airlines, right. you know, who've managed yeah. to be very creative about some very simple things. Most of us probably have seen uh, the variety of YouTube things that have circulated around about the guy who gives – the or the gal who gives the announcement about fastening your seatbelt on right. a plane, right. you know. About as mundane a thing as you can do. It, ha- it happens all the time. I fly enough that I think I could do it backwards if I had to. You know, uh, I I understand that if that oxygen thing ever drops down, you know, I'm supposed to do it first, then worry about my kids. The bag. I know the bag isn't supposed. I know all that stuff. And you watch some people how they do this very mundane task, and and by injecting their giftedness and their creativity and how they go about that, they transform the way in which it's done, and even more interestingly, the way in which people perceive it. Right. The, their experience of it. Yeah. Right. They, they, they end up being every, – everyone who's heard that announcement 600 times is engaged in that particular example because it's, it's so fresh and it's been so personalized. So I think sometimes we think of giftedness as where I am, but sometimes right. giftedness is thinking about – how I'm doing what I'm being asked
3: to do. Yeah. Two things I'd go in that vein as well. Um, I'm thinking one aspect is, I think sometimes we get too wrapped up in paid employment too. I mean, so we go to the same church. The individual at our church that runs our divorce care ministry, he sells furniture by the day. But that pays the bills. Mm -hmm. He just lights up with talking about what happens with marriage ministry. Mm -hmm. And doing the job pays the bills so he can actually do what he loves. And yeah, for, for there's people in this world that are fortunate enough to get paid for what they love to do with the giftedness, but for others, Maybe it is just the job, but then to have that—the sad thing is—the person who never has the outlet Mm -hmm. to be able to express this in the church, in their family, with the community, somewhere, somewhere. somewhere—and so the some of the most gifted people in your churches—they've got mundane jobs, Mm -hmm. and and there's people in my church I don't even know what they do for a living, Mm -hmm. but I know what they do at the church, and they just shine. And you find out later, oh, this guy sells furniture. This guy does this or that. The other thing I would say Mm -hmm. is. No job is perfect. Mm -hmm. No, not at all. Um, And because of the fall, every one of our jobs have those limitations. We just got to have a committee meeting yeah, sitting there yeah, for an my hour. Favorite, my favorite committee, You know, DTR. there's things I love about what we do, but there's other things that yeah. it doesn't matter what job you have. There's yeah. some mundaneness yeah. that you have to do no matter what the job my is. My dad
2: always used to say, every job has its bedpans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, he had a way of expressing himself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's true. You, you never find the perfect job, right. the perfect fit, this side of heaven. Yeah. And that's okay, because that builds your character. Mm-hmm. What I try to help people avoid is where there's such a mismatch between who they fundamentally are, what's being expected, that they're giving all the synergy out, but they're getting none back. And, and that's they go, a reci- empty. They they go, go empty. They go empty. And that's a recipe yeah. for burnout. That's
1: right. Yeah. I mean, that even happens with pastors. I mean, you well, know. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. I, I, I saw a survey, oh, about a year ago now uh, from Leadership Network. and, and uh, they they were rebroadcasting a, a survey that uh, asked why pastors quit, hmm. and I looked down the list of ten things, the top ten reasons, and I mean at least seven of them were the same symptoms that I see in lawyers, bankers, doctors, accountants, anybody else who's burning out, and it's it's signs of, of misfit, mm-hmm. you know, and you're thinking, gosh, I wonder if this guy was supposed to be in the pastorate in the first place, mm-hmm. you know? And I think at, at at the seminary, we actually do a service to people if we help them come to grips with the fact, you know, I I love minist I love the ministry as a concept, but I realize God really didn't wire me to do that vocationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I should be in engineering, you know, maybe I should teach, but not in a church setting. It's it's it does the world a much bigger favor to to steer somebody into work that that really fits them and they can make
3: a contribution, Than to go into something that – Well, I'll tell you, again, I've been here 13 years. I think one of the students who had the greatest gift of evangelism – He's an accountant. Mm-hmm. He came here thinking, I am going to go to a church, and he says, I hate hanging out with Christians all day. <laughs> and he's working with one of the big accounting firms, and he has an impact not just here in the U.S., he's working with expats all around the world. Mm-hmm. And he has an incredible gift of evangelism and, yeah, that type of thing of being able to unleash.
1: Yeah, I, I I I think that there really are two elements to this that are important, and one of them is the fit of doing. and, and Your bookspend does spend a lot of time helping people kind of discern what is it that you like to do, what do you do naturally, what what motivates you, you know, what mm-hmm. what what. Intrinsically, when you do, it's what I call getting lost in what you're doing. Yeah. You know, you dive in. and You know, there are times my wife will say the world ceases to exist. Sometimes when I'm sitting down and writing, when I'm at a certain point mm-hmm. in my writing and things are really lost going well, and activity. I'm thinking through, and I'm lost, and I'm in it, and and I look up and I've been there sitting there three hours, and I thought I've been there maybe ten minutes. And you, you know. feel
2: energized. Exactly yeah. right, because yeah. it's
1: been creative and 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 that kind of thing actually had a moment like that this morning. And so, you know, th- that really is invigorating to watch that happen. So there's that dimension, and I do think this other dimension is undervalued, and that is, all right, I'm not in the best place. You know, uh I'm in the middle of this DPR committee yeah. meeting. It's not the most <laughs> thrilling set of handouts I've ever had to evaluate in my life. You know, that kind of thing. But the activity that we're actually engaged in trying to do, which is to improve our education, <laughs> is it's important, it's important. Right. you know, and, and this is this is the mundane part of getting there. But so you do it. You, so you do it, and you realize, yeah, this isn't the funnest part of what we do, but you also realize that by investing in it and, and taking it seriously, you actually are helping to accomplish mm-hmm. and make better those times when you are doing what you want right, to do, right. and you're making it more effective in doing so. Correct. And so it has value, and so you, ma- you make the best. I'm sure every stewardess in the world, says, I wish we weren't mandated to tell people how to fasten their seatbelts on every flight. I mean, I think about how boring it is for me. Imagine for the person who has all to say long, that all day, all day, long, day long, every, every day. flight they're on, right. that's the thing they're going to be telling people. And you sit there and you go, man, I mean, I, I when I'm in my good moments, I go, I think I have it bad. Think about the person who has
2: to do this all the time, yeah. you know. And so, uh, and yet you, there's a way of doing it. You mentioned... Southwest Airlines. Yeah. You gave them some free advertising. Yeah. You mentioned an, an enlightened employer. Mm-hmm. There's an employer that realizes that very issue. Mm-hmm. And you know the, the one of the mission statements of Southwest Airlines is, have fun. Mm-hmm. And, and for all the years they've been in existence, they have actually done that. Mm-hmm. That to me speaks to anybody who's listening to this who's an employer. You have an opportunity to shape the nature mm-hmm. of the work that people are doing. Mm-hmm. You can either make it. A joy, or you can make it drudgery, mm-hmm. and you have a lot of control over over that culture. Mm-hmm. And and what an enlightened employer does is take something that's very meaningful menial, and somehow invest it with meaning and significance, and almost makes a game out of it that people love to play, and that that encourages people then to bring the best of who they are to. You it. know, another another
1: corporation that I think fits that bill very much is Interstate Battery. There, I think, yeah. through, There's another I think yes. through the commercials that Norm right. Miller used to do with Joe Gibbs, you know, here's the owner of the company and a former NFL football coach in the back seat of a, of a racer having fun in the 30 seconds or the minute that they get to advertise about Interstate Battery, and they have fun with it. And, and you can see that, and you sense it, and that spirit runs through, through the, the company. The company. Right, uh, and and you see it take place, and so I, I I think it's a very very important the whole the whole atmospherics, if
2: you will, of what a company is is very very
1: important. Well, and
3: just pure economics as well. When I empower my employees, there you go, more stuff gets done. That's and, right, and you
2: need less management. Right, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, it, it it's an interesting world to think about how how giftedness works, and and even when when there's a mismatch, what the potential is. I think that sometimes we get locked into thinking of I'm not where I ought to be, mm-hmm. and 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 that becomes like a box and a prison simultaneously, and you're just you're locked in, and and the, maybe the flip side of that, at least initially, is to think through well, how can I make how can I uh, okay, I'm here. How can I make this better? How can I make this work? How can I? What can I do to do creative stuff? I, I'll tell another story um, uh, that is an example. of This kind of thing. When I was growing up, I would my one of my first jobs was I worked in a mailroom of a bank. Just become a Christian. That and,
2: really sounds like a great fit for you. Jay. Yeah,
1: that's right. It was a great job, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, it was how I was earning my summer money, and I, you know, you go in and you just. It, you know it's these old mail machines that put stamps on envelopes and one thing the bank used to have to do was a lot of envelopes yeah. mm-hmm. and there was a lot of filing that was involved everyone was filing stuff checks and that kind of you know it was before automation and that kind of stuff so this is a dinosaur story but still but um, in the midst of that I thought well you know there are a lot of people sitting around they're just Island, their stuff all the time. There's not much going on here. It, you know, it, place is pretty quiet. You know, every now and then there's a conversation. Maybe there's something we can do to stir up a conversation. So there was a employees board that was located in the middle of all of where we were located. So one day I said, oh, I think I'm going to do a thing called a verse of the day, verse for the day, just to see if people will talk. And so the first one was, uh, "You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free." And at the bottom I put. On the tower at the University of Texas at Austin, which is where I was going to school, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, well, actually, that isn't what I did. I had the verse, and I said, "Does anyone know where this where this is prominent?" That's that's the way mm-hmm. I said it. And so, pe- and, and do you know where it comes from? Okay, so two questions. Okay. And people were walking by, and they were going, "Yeah, I've seen that on the tower at the University of Texas." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, do you know where it comes from?" And of course. Boom! Uh, yeah. Some people, right. a lot of people, didn't know, right. and so, and, and what is the truth, you know? And boom, where and and there, are all these people filing, to, you know, to, you know, just kind of doing the. All of a sudden, the the workroom, you know, kind of lights up and people are talking about stuff. And uh, I so I, I kept doing it, and then one day I decided I'm just going to skip. I'm not going to put up the verse of the day. <laughs> see what happens? Oh, okay, oh. Uh, that was a bad move. Yeah. You know, Where's the verse of you know, the day? You know, because what advice. I used to do, I used to put up a lot of Proverbs, because Proverbs inevitably invoked a lot yeah. of conversation yeah. Yeah. for reflection yeah. and that kind of – it changed the dynamic of the room. That's so neat. You know, it, it, it totally changed the dynamic of the room, and you're sitting here going – and it made job fun, and what's even more interesting is – you got to know the people you were working with right. through those conversations. I mean, you, you know, a job that was about checks and stamps on envelopes and, you know, who gets to lick the stamp today, you know. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, uh, all of a sudden there was there there were there was interaction
3: happening, and the it changed the way things place. were. Yeah, yeah. Humanness. Well, exactly. The relationships are huge. Yeah. You know, my, my wife works at a counseling office, and, you know, she enjoys the work. She loves the relationships that she has with the other ladies that she works with. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why I mean, Dallas Seminary, we do great things. I love the relationships that are here. We work with great people, and so it's the relationships that even in the midst of using my giftedness, back that context Mm -hmm. of community, in the midst of using my giftedness with other people, that's where the ministry is.
1: Yeah, so I, I I think that giftedness is a challenge. Helping people find yeah. their gifts is a challenge. It's an important aspect, and and we've barely even scratched the surface of, of how you get there. So we've had fun doing other things. I guess you'll have to have me back. Uh, that's <laughs> right. We'll have to have you back and do more detail. But what's, but but I do think that the a important question to work with because so many people do feel like they're mismatched or not happy where they are is wrestling with the question. Okay, that's where I am, but. Does each day become a dirge, or or do I? Is there a different way to think about how I go about what I'm doing in such a way that maybe my personality and my giftedness can express itself and and create a, a different kind of interaction and dynamic with what I'm doing in my life? Absolutely. And and that has terrific potential to change what otherwise would be the very same thing. Right. Well, I thank you guys for coming in and being a part of this, and Thanks for, for interacting us. with us it. on it. Uh, you know, it's a first go around on this. This is a good topic, and we'll be coming back to it. And uh, we just thank you for being a part, and we thank you for being a part of the table, and hope that you'll be with us again soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu/the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. of God's people.